Welcome to the Emergency DMBA pod. Today we'll talk about two big news in the world of business and design. Obviously we're going to talk about Adobe acquiring Figma and... And we're talking about um, the founder of Patagonia giving away his company to a trust slash nonprofit or actually both. We'll find out more about that later. Exactly. So we have one seemingly positive news, one seemingly negative. Let's see um, what comes out of it in the end when we kind of debate it um, thoroughly. So you're listening to the podcast called DMBA. And what we do here is we share business confidence for designers. And um, let's just try jump straight in front, if you agree. Um, maybe let's first start with the big news kind of the elephant in the room, which is Adobe acquiring Figma. So um, I'll just maybe lay out some foundation of what has happened if you maybe haven't heard, which I seriously doubt, but <laughs> just kind of the set <laughs> set the stage and then let's hash it out. Um, first of all, last week on Thursday, so September 15th, Adobe announced that it will acquire Figma for $20 billion dollars um that's a lot of money (laughs) yes (laughs) i believe it's one of the biggest if not the biggest private acquisition ever um so by private acquisition i mean the company hasn't been public yet so figma you know isn't public yet until it (laughs) until it uh merges with adobe and as such is one of the biggest is private acquisitions ever um the interesting thing that you may have seen, Franz, is that the last valuation of Figma was ten billion, yep. just last year. You know, one hundred percent markup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I read this, I just I completely, I just felt Adobe overpaid this. But let, let's have a look. Let's have a look at the numbers maybe a little bit later. But um, so last year, Adobe raised two hundred million at ten billion valuation. So as you said, it essentially doubled. Um, I had a look also what the worth of the or, or the value of Adobe as a company is, just to kind of compare. And before the small correction, which I'll <laughs> discuss in a bit, Adobe was somewhere around $150 billion. That was the worth of the company. But since the announcement, so last Thursday, uh, Adobe's stock just fell down by 20% from around $380 to $300, something like this, Um, which kind of means that investors did not like this deal. (laughs) Yeah. So finally, investors have something in common with designers. They both don't like this deal. Yeah. So we can start building our our, uh, story from here. Uh, Maybe first of all, we need to take the moment of silence for Figma. <laughs> is it though? But maybe you'll not. talk about how yeah, they will I mean, continue in um, when it comes to being uh, autonomous, right? Exactly. So what Figma is, so Adobe is saying is that they will stay independent. But maybe before we jump into uh, what Adobe is saying and what will likely happen, <laughs> um, um, the first thing is just why? Why is Adobe? buying and why is figma selling yeah let's start with adobe you know because there are more hypotheses there the first one that adobe wants us to believe is product synergies yeah so So, meaning that you want to integrate something that plays well together with the products that you already have so you have higher value of the full suit if you package together the two features or the two lists of features exactly I'll read you a quote from their um, slide deck when they announced it. Adobe and Figma now have a new opportunity to make content creation more efficient, collaborative, and fun fun, by bringing together Adobe Express, um, Acrobat, and FigGem, an online whiteboarding solution for Teams. And there were a few more of these like bullet points that went into this, but you know that's just how they're trying to position this thing as hey by integrating this we will um, have synergies between our products and users will benefit Um, 
what they don't kind of go into, or maybe, I mean, they do indirectly, it's just Figma is a completely different type of product. I mean, that's why they're buying it because it's not built, I mean, it is built like on a web platform um, made for collaboration and even synchronous work. Everything Adobe was not successful to accomplish. Yeah. So now adding Figma to all the other tools that are not synchronous, you know, they're not collaborative in the same way Figma is, it's not that easy to do, especially when you claim that you're going to keep Figma independent. Yeah. So basically it's not a synergy for users because you could already use them, both of them, if you wanted, but it's more like, <laughs> <The same> <laughs> <way>. <laughs> yeah, it's more like we didn't have this and we want it. So we're going to buy it. So I think you can, you can sense from our tone um, that we don't think this is the reason they're buying Adobe. And I guess most designers have, or had the same um, reaction to it when they were reading the news and what I saw on Twitter and LinkedIn was basically like a lot of yeah backlash from designers not being happy that their darling, so Figma, was being sold. Um, so if the product strategies are not the reason that Adobe is buying uh, Figma, what is the reason? I would say, so this is my opinion, is that by buying Figma, Adobe is de-risking their existential threat. So Figma is basically the biggest threat to Adobe, you know, because they have this type of product that is growing super, super fast. It's super successful. Customers love it. It's in the same space. And it begs the question like, oh, what if cannibalizes our sales? And the fact that Adobe is a public business it just means that it's under more scrutiny. Um, you have investors looking into the company and they also obviously look at up and coming competitors because that's what investors do. And they see a hyper growing competitor um, being in this space and, you know, stocks go down. Like the price of the stocks just slowly, mm. but surely goes down until maybe the company reacts. Mm. Um, this whole situation reminds me of uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Do you remember that from 2012? Um, so Facebook in 2012 became public company. Mm. And at that time, it was just Facebook and no meta. And uh, Instagram was separate companies for those who don't remember. So it's completely two different products and companies. And But Instagram was so successful and so it was just so endangering Facebook, you know, that for Facebook, it was basically like an existential threat. And that's why they decided at that time to buy this company for, I think, again, in that time for the record-breaking $1 billion, mm -hmm. which was a big sum for, if I'm not mistaken, for a company with not even like 20 employees, mm -hmm. um, something was, like that, 10 or 15. Was Facebook already public at this point in time? Yeah, yeah, it was. Do you remember what the stocks did? I don't remember exactly, but I just had a look at the timeline and it was, mm. I believe, uh, 2012, uh, February, Facebook became public and then they bought Instagram in um, in April. Mm. So that's just how public companies okay. react and have to react to the changes in the market. So if you, like... This is obviously a good thing, right? For Adobe, it's kind of understandable. You have a threat. Um, you, for some reason, think you cannot build the same way and outcompete this other company, so you buy it. So I mm. would think, I would applaud them, right? As a, as a shareholder, as an investor. They're doing a right yeah. thing. Why do you think that stocks go down? It could be just because of the price they paid. Mm. Um and the way they paid this price. Um, so they're giving half in cash, half in stocks. So um, partially this. So maybe when investors put this back in their model. So by the way, what a lot of institutional investors do is they have models, they have spreadsheets where they're calculating the free cash flow, revenue, profit of the companies. And then they calculate the worth of the company, how much it's worth. And um, 
basically their models show them that the price now is different. So this could be part of it because I think institutional investors or investors in general, they don't care about the feelings of designers. The designers are now, you know, not happy with Adobe buying Figma. It's more like just re-evaluating re the company. So, um, but my sense, if I would be those investors, I mean, not just looking through the spreadsheets, I would say it wasn't such a bad deal because you're buying your biggest threat Mm. Uh, that has that is addressing a much bigger addressable market than than Adobe is because Adobe is predominantly used by designers, but Figma is not just used by designers. It's used by marketers. It's used by developers. It's used by project managers, and even yeah. I think like fifteen or twenty percent of other people. So this means that it has a much bigger addressable market than Adobe does. So I think looking back, we could look at these acquisition. From the business perspective, we could look at this acquisition as 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 fondly as we are looking at Facebook acquiring Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what's your sense? I mean, I I would think the same thing. So in in general, from a Adobe shareholder perspective, I would say mm, maybe not that bad. That's a good company growing a threat that we have now bought, but something there need to be something. Uh, so I would maybe say a statement of um, like inability of the company. So you're basically saying that you cannot be successful in this part. Mm -hmm. So this is also a sign of weakness, maybe that you mm -hmm. need to buy somebody, but you cannot do it in house. But I honestly, this is also just a guess. So, I'm just interested yeah. in maybe you knew more about why this mm. drop of, of um, yeah, 20% in share price. Yeah, 20%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's substantial. Which basically, yeah, it's big. I mean, usually when companies acquire, um, their biggest competitors, valuation goes up, not down. So that 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 is interesting indeed. Mm. Um, but I had a look at Figma's unbelievable growth so in 2007, in terms of the revenue, and this kind of just speaks to how big this thing could be. So in 2017, they had less than a million in revenue. So roughly 700K. Mm -hmm. 2018, 4 million. 2019, 23 million. 2020, 77 million. So this is tripling basically. And then from 2020 to 2021, tripling again, 210 million. Yeah. Which so their valuation was based on 2021 numbers, mm. right? But now we're in 2022, and uh, some estimates are that Figma will make somewhere between 400 and 500 million yeah. in uh, revenue. Which, by the way, is in this business called ARR, so um, annual recurring revenue. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> exactly <laughs> annual recurring revenue, um, and. It's because it's recurring revenue, it's worth even more from the perspective of uh, investors. But anyway, so 2022 estimated 450, let's say, and then 2023, it could be around 800. So mm -hmm. let's say by 2024, 2025, Figma could easily be 1 billion in revenue, in mm -hmm. annual recurring revenue. So this in itself just justifies this price. Yeah. So if you say they have tripled from last year to this year, or from... 2020 to 2021, you could even argue yeah. that if a valuation was 10 billion last year and you triple your mm. value, then doubling your company value is actually not overpriced. It actually could even be the other way around. No, no, but that now we are jumping from 21, 2021 to 2022 when it is doubling. Yeah. Uh, but last year it was tripling. So okay. from 2020 to 2021. So in a way, valuation went up with the same, let's say, scale as the revenue. Okay. Um, which kind of justifies the whole thing. Yeah. Um, now, the next question that you may have is like, why doesn't a company like Adobe just build a copy of, uh, of their product? You know, like, why don't they do what Instagram has tried to do with Snapchat and... Microsoft is trying to do with Slack, some Microsoft Teams versus Slack, and so on. There's a lot of examples. Mm. Good and bad, and think, right? Some people bad. completely yeah. failed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, some companies completely failed, but for example, Microsoft Teams yeah, has all, it, is outperforming Slack. So it's not that it's absolutely not possible, right? No, it's definitely possible, exactly. But to give you another example of a fail is like uh, Facebook and Google+. Plus. You know, you remember, may remember this 2015, something like this. Google has decided to jump onto the social media bandwagon and try to take some of the Facebook's market share. And um, they weren't that successful. And when you try to look at the, the reasons behind this, and specifically now why Adobe can't... They tried, you know, they tried with their own product. Why they couldn't build a copy is because of something called network effects. It's it's a phenomenon where more people using your product, the more valuable your product is. Mm. Figma being a collaborative tool, not just for designers, but across a whole theme of developers, designers, and project managers, it just has such a strong locking effect that it's hard to displace it. Mm. And it's hard to displace it with from the perspective of a company that just has a technology that's built on a different, let's say, fundamentals. You know, yeah. and once you gain the momentum, just like Figma did, it's really hard to 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 compete with them, yeah. and um, then it's just easier to buy them. You know, but that's actually really interesting. So for Google Plus and Facebook, that's clear. Like, right, social networks yeah. have the biggest network effects, and it just means that the platform that has the most users has the most value, and it's really hard for another platform to emerge because you first it's really hard to have different networks. And if you have a completely like same value proposition, then there will only be a winner because the networks effect network effects are so strong. But the, mm-hmm. on the other hand with Figma, it feels like this is more company internal networking. So only because mm-hmm. my friend that works in a completely different company uses Figma. I don't have more value because of this, right? So this is, it feels even more close to Slack and and Microsoft Teams. So Slack and Microsoft Teams has obviously network effect within my company. If my if I'm using Slack and my, I don't know, teammate over there uses Teams, not great, but yeah. only because our company uses Slack, it doesn't mean that it's, better or worse if another company uses Slack or Teams. So here, I'm glad like you brought this up. it's not yeah. completely this network effect, right? I'm glad you brought this up because it brings us to another topic. I think this Figma is somewhere in between these two stories. Mm. And So one side we have the Facebook story and other, on the other side we have the Slack story and Figma, I, I see it as is in between. Uh, as you said, Facebook has like a global network effect. The more friends use it, the more value yeah. it has for everybody. Then we have the Slack network effect, which is kind of internal for your own theme. And you could argue Figma is similar. And I think it is, but it's in the way I see it is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Because what Figma has done really successfully is that it's integ- like. It's useful even for designers working alone individually. So a lot of designers have started using it themselves and then they sold it internally. So that's why I see it like as in between product between these two, Mm. because you can use it individually. And if you use it individually, then you sell it internally. And this design community goes across organizations and designers just love, you know, like hanging out and sharing stuff. And that's why I think Figma like did this cross not cross industry but cross like design community network effect which then kind of helps them get through these different organizations yeah whereas like if i'm using slack within my company i'm not necessarily going to tell another friend of my designer to also use it with me because it doesn't make sense but the beauty of this product is can be used it can be used alone but it's more powerful together. And that's why I think it's like in between. And yeah. they are so far ahead now that they just like, they have this momentum, the ball is rolling. And that's why Adobe has to react now because in two or three years time, as we as we saw with numbers, the train could be gone. Yeah. And do you think the love is gone now? 
Like love. we saw this huge backlash on social media about people being raged out by this move, yeah. like Adobe buying, Figma selling. So it seems like everybody is yeah. having hard feelings about that. So what do you think? Very how hard play feelings. Out? So by the way, for those who can't see, I'm wearing a black pullover just uh, as a my, my way to, <laughs> to show... <laughs> to kind of yeah you know it, it i almost feel like this is the 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 death of figma but i mean it's not but like for a lot of designers it felt that way on thursday and friday when i was reading these things so um yeah i was also surprised by the amount of backlash i mean i get it because figma has a history uh, sorry adobe has a f history of acquiring companies and then uh, not being the best with integrating them um like for example they acquired dream weaver which became notoriously bad after adobe acquired it so most web designers don't want to use it um so i think that's kind of based on this plus a few years back adobe went to creative cloud where you have to pay per month uh, for the whole cloud and that just alienated a lot of designers so the combination of not the best product with the pricing it has they just became outraged and figma was the darling you know it saved the kind of thing and now they're afraid they will make it worse um so yeah let's talk about this you know so the fear of designers is that <laughs> adobe will somehow make figma worse product wise and probably pricing wise um so on twitter i've saw a few really interesting tweets um for example mark webster uh whose company got acquired by adobe he said that four and a half years i'm just quoting now four and a half years after adobe bought my last company i'm still here for a reason this place understands founders and knows how to make acquisitions work so kind of telling us okay this may actually work out well mm. then i have another story another tweet from kurt warner um, whose company got also acquired uh, by Adobe for 1.2 billion. So the company is called Frame.io. And again, quoting Kurt, I can say with full sincerity that Adobe delivered on their promise to allow us to maintain our product vision and independence. By the way, because that's something Adobe leaders are now, or Adobe CEO um, has publicly stated in the announcement that um, they are assuring us that Figma um will stay kind stay of autonomous mm. yeah in terms of the product and pricing which is very important um and founders of the previously acquired companies are telling us the same but we don't trust them right <laughs> i mean their statement you i think we all or many of us read the statement right statement of the um founder co-founder and ceo dylan field so he writes yeah. about exactly this, right? How he's grateful that they join forces, how he has how we, he will continue to run the company, how he um how the team will stay independent, how the product will stay independent, and how they don't have plans to um change the pricing. And then yeah. um when you scroll down, so all of this reads like, yeah, okay, we take care of that. Then you scroll down and you see this disclaimer. And then you read this disclaimer and you're, lo you're like, really? Like, <laughs> how can you make something so bad? So in, the, in general, this says, never mind what we just said above, this might change in any case. Yeah. So it's more like a disclaimer in terms of, okay, anything that we said about the future might or might not be happening. <laughs> so it is normal to do this in announcements. Yeah. But still, like I think it's it was funny to see this on Figma's website, which in one in just one blog post went from being a startup to becoming a corporate, because this disclaimer is just like what corporates do. Yeah. And at the same time, yeah, like hey, this is what we're promising, but also maybe we can't not. Promise. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we we're can't. promising, but also we can't promise anything. <laughs> exactly. So not saying so, that nothing of this is true, just pointing out the fact that this is how you show that you turned corporate without 
saying that you turned corporate, right? Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> so I personally have my doubts about what will happen. Um, when you pay so much money uh, for a company, there is so much pressure on the on Adobe in this case to make it work that if it goes slightly sideways, I think we will soon see some integration. What usually happens with these deals is definitely companies, so acquirers, so Adobe in this case gives them, so the, the Figma, so the, the other team, the other company, they give them a year, maybe two years to kind of figure it out. And then after that, you see slow, but very concrete integrations. Usually the very first integration is, hey, you can still take care of the product, you're great at doing the product, but let us handle the sales. This means we will put you in our bundle, but hey, keep on doing what you're doing because your product is amazing. But now it costs 30 bucks. Plus you get all the other Adobe products. That's better, right? Um, okay, let's. I mean, we don't have to discuss if this is better for users, but why this is bad for the company, so for Figma, is because they lose their autonomy. Like if you can't, if you can't decide the price, and if you don't have a sales team anymore, you lose the the direct integration with the market. Yeah, you don't hear the customers as well anymore. You can't react. You can't make the changes as you did before. So just the product autonomy, that's not the right word, autonomy is not enough. You know, you need to have also the pricing autonomy to really be autonomous. Yeah. So my prediction is today we are 2022. By 2024, by the end of 2024, Figma becomes part of the CC Creative Cloud. That's why I'm wearing black today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm curious about that and i think this is a one of the one of the biggest fears because it's also like this biggest sign of uh user facing that this is not a standalone product anymore but it's part of something yeah. bigger and even though it might still be cool and well usable it's just different and this transition yeah. has already begun with knowing that it's not autonomous anymore um so i'm curious how it actually turns out um and how also public sentiment can mm. do something so maybe this is all like the dust basically settles and yeah. figma stays to be cool and everything is great in future right yeah. um mm. but i i'm curious about how how it plays out in the like short term like does this sentiment already have some impact in the short term, which then may spiral down to exactly what you said, because if there is bad um, bad developments, like business developments in the short term, then it spirals usually to even worse developments yeah. when it comes to integration and um, pricing. And yeah, we saw that like these uh, decisions where companies struggle to hit their goals and they need to react with monetization um, actions Netflix. which makes it even worse <laughs> in the yes. than in the first place. Yeah, look, I mean, Figma could be doing great into mm. 2024, but Adobe may not, and hence the pressure on the CEO to keep his job to do something. And you know, Figma is the easiest way to do something. So I think it's going to be such a easy way to change the stock price. So as soon as you have a problem, you may just jump onto this and use this yeah. button called Figma to somehow solve your stock price in that moment. Um, so the last thing I want to add to this topic is just why would Figma even sell if they're doing so well and if they're growing so well? Frankly, it's it's a similar story like Instagram. Like It's such a big amount of money for founders, for investors that is just like, yeah, I mean, I think we have to do it. Like you're de-risking investors, you're de-risking yourself, you're de-risking the, the team that has stock options and so on. So it's just a big payday for everyone. If something goes wrong, you know, recession hits, something else happens. So it's just, it was just too much money to leave on the table. Yeah. Um, 
if they came with less, I think Figma would just say no because they were actively fighting against them. In one of the tweets, even the founder of Figma is saying like, Figma is no Adobe. I mean, he hence uh, he since deleted his tweet, but that was like two years ago, or even a year yeah. ago. Obviously, so there were very strong feelings about not selling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the end, you also need to see this from the pure human perspective. Like you told us about seven hundred thousand revenues in revenue in twenty seventeen. Exactly. So imagine what they did in the last five years. Like this one person or this team of people, what they actually, like just what they did in five or six years. This, crazy. That's crazy. Yes. And maybe you're just so like, when you get presented with a check like this, you're also just like, okay, let me just, yeah. okay, let me just now, maybe take it a little bit, I don't know. So I'm not saying they're now taking it easy, but this is also, as you said, de-risking, right? You have put enormous work into something for six years it went well but it's a startup right it could also go just completely sideways and fail and now you're getting a huge check from a company which just frees you of every doubt and every insecurity that you have as a founder so yeah why not mm. take this peace of mind way out of this and still be able to run your company yeah at least for the next two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I think we, we covered it well for the first step, unless you have anything else to add. No, I think way out of your company is an interesting segue to Patagonia now. To way in. I mean, the, the, the second reason I'm wearing a black pullover is because it's made from Patagonia. So I think it kind of connected two topics for me today. Um, I didn't do as much research on Patagonia as you did, Franz, so I'll take you over just in a second. But I want to invite all of you who are still listening by this point of the podcast. If you're enjoying these kind of conversations and topics, you may also enjoy uh, our mini MBA, which is kind of a seven-day email course. So if you sign up over seven days, you get seven emails, you learn a few interesting business topics, then you can apply as a designer in your work. To do this, head over to d.mba slash mini minus MBA. So d.mba slash mini minus MBA. And now to everyone's darling of the last week, Patagonia. Exactly. From devil to angel, right? <laughs> From Adobe to Yvonne. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, honestly. I'm really sorry about this, but I think I'm not the only one. But mm. he's giving away his entire company to a non-profit that uses all of the company's profit to save the planet, basically, if you want to call it like this. Mm. So just to set the stage, Patagonia has a valuation of $3 billion. So not as much as uh, Figma, Figma had when they <laughs> sell, sold it, right? <laughs> so $3 yeah. billion. Uh, they have a revenue of roughly one billion a year, and they have a prob uh, profit per year of one hundred to two hundred million. We don't really know because it's a private company until now. So, um, what basically Yvonne did with his company was he um, gives it away to a nonprofit. Um, and this nonprofit will use all of the profits of the company uh, Patagonia uh, and put it into um, activities that are designed to fight climate change and um, mm -hmm. and preserve biodiversity. So the company will no longer distribute any of the pro profits to the family, right? Just to keep this in mind, this company was a private company, a family, a man, a group of people owned this, meaning mm -hmm. that all of the profits went to these people who owned the company. And do you know what percentage did Yvonne's family, I also don't know how to pronounce his surname, so let's just call him Yvonne. So do you know how, how what percentage Yvonne's family owned of Patagonia? 100. Was it more than 50? 100%. Oh, that was like, that was purely, that was pure. I mean, I could be completely wrong here, but my uh, my um, understanding was that this was a uh, private mm -hmm. company owned by the family because otherwise mm -hmm. it would have been hard for them to give it away. 
if they wouldn't mm-hmm. have the voting rights. Probably, yeah. Okay, yeah. we can double check that. Anyway, it doesn't okay. matter for the story. Correct. So, um, yeah, all the profits will go to these this non-profit company who is now the owner of the company um, and the company Patagonia itself will still continue to operate as a for-profit company um, and the money they earn go to this non-profit. So Mm -hmm. obviously it's more complicated than that and that's why I would now talk about first why one would even do this, Mm -hmm. then how it's actually done and in the end like what does it actually mean in practice? And then we can maybe also dip into is everything gold that shines? Yeah, because this, <laughs> this news got so much love. Yeah. And what I'm sensing is you 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 found some dirty things there. Uh, I wouldn't say it's dirty things, but <laughs> yeah, um, I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's what we like to do in these podcasts, right? We want to yeah. take something that looks awesome and then see if not everything is awesome because, I mean, yeah. not that's the fact never yeah it's not always it's never the case that everything is awesome and let's check how this works right so you're right why did they do it's not the right word yeah yeah um why did they do it so yvonne is 84 years old and he basically still has Mm -hmm. a big say in the company he's not the ceo he's not working on a daily basis but still he is an owner and as an owner you can you basically still um dictate where a company goes because you can also fire mm-hmm. a CEO and announce a new one. So basically, yes, you're still pretty much running the company. Um, so in the end, he just needed to find a way to what to do with the company because he's old and he, I guess he doesn't want to... <laughs> like, this is just what every company owner does, right? They, they think about how does my um, company, how does the thing that I created... Um, will go forward when I'm no longer here. So it's as simple Mm -hmm. as that. So they have two children and that would obviously be the first thing to do, right? Giving it Mm -hmm. to your children. But it turns out that they have a very similar understanding of capitalism than their dad. So Yvonne, like the founder of uh, Patagonia, always said, actually, I never wanted to be a businessman and somehow I turned out to be one. Now I never wanted to be a billionaire and turns out that I am one. So he always was so reluctant of this whole uh, way of running companies that he already is now doing things completely different before he announced this huge move. But it seems like he kind of passed over this view also to their children um, Mm -hmm. because they don't want the company. So they said basically that they don't want to be beneficiaries of a rich person. And they also said a very interesting quote, which is, every billionaire is a policy failure. So Policy failure? Yeah. In what way? In a way that there shouldn't be billionaires. If there are billionaires, uh-huh. then the system is crooked. There uh-huh. cannot be billionaires okay. on the one hand and then destroying the planet, having poverty. And every billionaire is a policy failure because that's not how things should be. So basically, they turned yeah. down the whole thing. And said mm-hmm. they don't want it. So what else can you do? You they, and they did think about um, selling the whole company and donating the money. Thing that didn't fit here is that yeah, this would be cool, um, but also they couldn't be sure how the company would be run in future. Even more true with taking a company public, right? You can sell a company privately to somebody else, uh, or you can sell your company on the stock market. Both didn't feel like it would preserve the company the way that they set it up. So not an option for them. Um, Mm -hmm. Then they also thought about turning Patagonia into a cooperative that is owned by the employees or becoming a nonprofit Mm -hmm. in itself. But that Mm -hmm. kind of would have changed how the company itself would be run. And that's apparently something that they didn't want. So Patagonia Mm -hmm. as a for-profit company is successful doing business in a way that is as minimal impact as possible on the climate um so actually they didn't want to change the company structure itself so yeah they looked for a way to continue the company as it is at the moment um but not with them under ownership 
And that's exactly now the result of this process. Mm -hmm. So the goal was to find a way for company to be run the way it is, but do and more good purpose for, and value driven. Exactly. Yeah. But do more the proceeds going to a good cause. Going to a good cause and ensure that this is happening even after. Um, I don't know. So it's happening just in the future. That's what Correct. it's like. Correct. Okay. So now, how is this actually done? Right? Mm -hmm. So in a company, you have voting stocks and non-voting stocks. All of the stocks that give you give you profit, but not all of the stocks, and you can define the percentage of that, not all of the stocks necessarily have a voting right. Mm -hmm. So, and you can, if you have a private company, you can determine this for yourself. So what they did is they split the stocks of the company. They said, from now on, we will have 2% of the stocks voting stocks and 98% of the stocks non-voting stocks. So to okay. the 2% voting stocks, you will also get 2% of the profit and 98% uh, would be non-voting stock, so they wouldn't have any say in company decisions, and they would also get 98% of the uh, profits. Mm -hmm. So 100% of the voting stocks, so 98% of the total stocks, are now transferred to Patagonia Purpose Trust. Okay. And this and Purpose Trust... Pardon, go, go on. Yeah, I probably would, you would get there, but <laughs> who gets the 2%? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, that's it. That's what I just. That's what I was just talking about. So these two percent of the stocks, are the voting stocks, uh, yeah. go towards the Patagonia Purpose Trust. So got it. Two percent okay. of the stocks now control all the voting rights of the company, and that goes towards the Patagonia Purpose Trust. Got it. And, who and that's the eighty-nine. The eighty-nine percent of the company, which is also eighty-nine percent of all the profit. Uh, 98, sorry, 98% of all yeah. the profit um, goes to a non-profit organization that's called Holdfast Collective. So this is a non-profit dedicating to fight environmental crisis and defending nature as how they write it. And the whole funds of this company, of this non-profit, will actually come from Patagonia. So each year, the money that um, Patagonia makes after reinvesting into their business, will go to this company to fight the climate crisis, to this NPO. Got it. So we have a non-profit with 98% of stocks uh, that gets profits every year, and then 2% is with another is trust. It a non-profit or a trust. Mm -hmm. Is it with a trust? Probably, I'm guessing, run by the family. Yeah, correct. We'll get to that later. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's interesting, right? So um, that's now we can also go a little bit into how the tax system works um, because now these two things are treated completely differently, a trust and a nonprofit. So there is something that's called 501c4 organization. You can <laughs> forget the whole thing again, but this is basically an organization that's operated exclusively for the promotion of social welfare in its prime and is primarily engaged in promoting the common good and general welfare. Mm -hmm. So this is now this um, holdfast collective, and this is what owns uh, the company. This is what will get the whole um, profits of the company, and they their mission is fighting climate change. And the interesting thing is that if this company earns something, they don't have to pay taxes. So the, as this is a non-profit organization, right? Mm -hmm. They are tax exempt in their income. So Patagonia still needs to pay tax on their profit, right? Or because now it's owned by a non-profit, they don't have to pay taxes? No, they have to pay taxes if, as the company as the company um, um, basically makes mm -hmm. a profit, but then this, like you have income as this non-profit organization, but this right. income isn't taxed. Yeah, which if you would be an individual who tries to get the money out of the company, you still need to pay additional tax as an individual 
to get it out. So first there's a tax for the company, then there's the tax for the individual, but because we're giving it to the nonprofit, the tax is just on the company, not on the nonprofit. Okay, yeah. got it. Correct. And interesting thing about um, taxes is also that um, they actually paid quite a lot of taxes, but not the taxes that could have been paid <laughs> if you sold it, right? So um, if you donate something to a trust, which is the 2% of all the shares, uh, you need to pay taxes. And this was 75, uh, 17.5 million in taxes. Got it. So the trust had to pay, but nonprofit paid nothing for Correct. getting those. Uh, uh, that's why they structured it this way. Yep. But essentially, so this trust, which is now, is it like above the nonprofit? Is trust now the, is this trust uh, leading the nonprofit or how does that work? Mm, actually, or is this it trust leading is leading the Patagonia. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. The trust is leading Patagonia and the uh, nonprofit is leading itself. Got it. So basically, oh, you have now three okay. different entities, right? You have Patagonia, who is the company. Patagonia is owned by two um, other organizations. The first organization is the trust with all the voting rights. And the second organization is the um, nonprofit with no voting rights, but 98% of all the profit. Got it. So essentially, every year, let's say Patagonia makes 100 million, just to e calculate this easier yeah. next year. Two million would go to the trust, yeah, which would have to pay the taxes, mm -hmm. and then ninety-eight percent would go to the nonprofit, which wouldn't have to pay the taxes. Correct, and that's yeah. awesome, right? Because this trust, uh, this nonprofit organization, is there to fight climate change. So that's actually mm -hmm. a pretty, um, yeah, a huge thing to do, right? You yeah. give away your company and you put it and you you give it to a non-profit organization that is there to fight climate change and they have like yeah they have found nice ways of of saying this like for example now the earth is our only shareholder yeah so that's pretty interesting and a pretty nice way of saying this or also if you compare this with the general capitalistic model They are saying instead of extracting the value from nature and transforming it into the wealth for investors, we use the wealth Patagonia creates to protect the source of all the wealth. So nature again. Mm. So that's the, the twist here, right? Usually you have an owner of a company like Yvonne was before and you run a company and you get the profits and then you decide what to do with the, the profits. Um, and here... You have a nonprofit being the owner of a company, so everything they earn, they will um, use to fight climate change. Um, one question: So, if I keep 100% of voting rights, mm -hmm. don't I also keep the chance to reverse this whole decision? Because the the title was uh, Yvonne is giving away his company, but what I'm hearing now is like, mm, not really. Um, not really is a good thing, but is a, is a good point. And I'm getting to that. But, um, what I read is that this is a non-reversible, um, decision. Got it. So okay. they have something called like a company charter. And in this company charter, it's also written that this decision is non-reversible and it's not the plan, um, to, yeah, change this. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you also said, who now controls the company. And now we're getting to what does this actually mean in practice? Mm -hmm. And honestly, as far as I can tell from what I have researched is that nothing will change except, so when it comes to decision-making, nothing mm -hmm. will change. The only thing that changes is that the, the profit will not go into the family's pocket, but it will go into this non-profit pocket, except for uh, like the 2% of the trust. So why I'm saying this is, what stays the same Patagonia will still continue to be run as a for-profit company right so then Patagonia will continue to donate 1% of their sales to grassroots environmental nonprofits. that's what they did before that's what they will continue to do um, the board of Patagonia will continue to be to be the same so CEO CFO CEO they will all stay the same um, now we're going to this Patagonia Purpose Trust. And 
just to remember ourselves, it was created to protect the company's value and its mission. And actually, who is running this board and who is sitting on this board? It's the family, right? So they will guide the Patagonia Purpose Trust. And they also elect and oversee its leadership after that, if they're not active anymore, right? And then the family will also guide the philanthropic work of the Holdfast Collective. So in the end, you could also argue that everything is the same. So they're not actually giving away the company. They still yeah. have full control over the company. What they are doing is actually changing who the profit goes to, which is still a noble yes. thing, right? I'm not saying Very that they noble. are fooling anybody. I'm just saying that when it comes to what the company does and what happens with the money that is earned, that's still 100% under the control of um, yeah. Ivan and his family. Mm. And sorry, go on. I mean, if I'm honest, if I were them, I would try to do the same thing. Mm. The business world shows us again and again that you can't really trust uh, public markets. You, it's really hard to trust anyone. So I would be like, I want to do this, but I want to still keep the control because I know my values. I know I wouldn't do it yeah. in the wrong way. And Yvonne has shown this also through his lifestyle. Like he still lives an old, he still lives a very modest lifestyle. I think he drives like a 20 year old car, etc. So, um, once you get into details, it, it starts to get very murky and you can see how somebody could easily exploit this for the greenwashing, like marketing um, yeah. story. But even if you try to, I mean, if I just put my like optimistic hat on, like, yeah, I, I would probably do the same because now if you also hand over the reins to the nonprofit, then the nonprofit could run the company differently. So, it is not an easy thing to do yeah. to keep this balance while doing a good thing by giving away profit. So I still applaud them. But when you go into details, I agree, it can look very like money. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, here we're getting to the system. And this is also where the criticism starts, right? It seems mm -hmm. like, okay, this family just did an awesome thing, right? What they're doing is, they continue mm -hmm. to run a company very missions and value driven. They continue to run a B Corp certified company. They already do their business in a way that has minimal impact on the environment, but they know that business kind of needs to exist. So people earn money. Um, and in the end, they use the profits to fight climate change. So as long as you have this, let's say, um, value driven head and decision maker to do stuff, all is great, but the system behind is really criticized. In so there is also kind of a like tiny backlash, not necessarily on exactly what um, Patagonia did, but more on this whole system of giving away a company to these nonprofit organizations. Because some say that this is just a way for billionaires to save tax and and use the money for whatever they want. So now just mm -hmm. imagine this would be somebody else, right? Now just mm -hmm. imagine you're somebody who wants to damage the climate. So what you could do is mm -hmm. you could give your company for free to a nonprofit organization. This nonprofit organization could use all the profit and use it how they want it, right? Yeah. Exactly. They can't really do this because this nonprofit organization, um, you might or might not remember, uh, 501c4, that has regulations, right? It's a welfare yes. organization. So in a way, it is also regulated. But also, you know that welfare is very wide. And also, this organization may engage in politics. So what you can do as a billionaire is you can mm. use this organization to drive a political system that you want to see without being taxed. So this is the whole um, backlash that this whole system gets. And there is also an interesting example of another billionaire 
who happens to be a Republican who donated his company for 1.6 something billion to a um, to an NGO, basically doing exactly the same thing as uh, Patagonia did. Then mm. they sold this company. We all know that you don't have to pay taxes to a company that's sold by this MP, uh, by an by an NGO NGO like this. And then he used all this money to basically cement the like conservative dominance in certain states. So mm-hmm. now what we have this, uh, so what we basically have is a situation where we have again a system and it just depends on how the system is, is used. And then you have one person who is just the, um, everybody starting for a reason because he's doing cool things. But then you have the same system who can, well, that can actually also be used in a very questionable way. Um, so using it as a way to save tax uh, and using it as a way to use money to drive a political agenda. And here we come the full circle. That's why DMB exists, because capitalism can be used in very bad way. Capitalism can be used in very nice way. And the thought is that people who put people first and planet first, so designers, like can can use it in the right way. And that's the tricky thing with with a lot of these tools that capitalism gives us. Uh, we can use it in the right way or the wrong way, but uh, hopefully more of us can be like Yvonne and less of us like I don't know exploitative capitalists. Yeah, and the thing is, we need to know how it works, right? I mean, the yeah. easy way to say it is know the rules to break the rules, but even like to put it more nuanced if you say that something is bad from the outset and you don't engage in it then you won't make it better right so Mm -hmm. but if you know stuff and when we say stuff we mean business (laughs) then you can actually engage in it and um you can follow examples that are um good like this one uh from patagonia which is seemingly good and we'll see what they actually do with their um with their um ngos that they have now founded but just in general it shows again that yeah by understanding how systems work understanding how businesses are run uh, we can actually change stuff we may have just made all of our listeners very depressed so figma is not going to be great again and uh (laughs) And Patagonia is not doing that well. Um, But maybe we're wrong, you know. So hopefully Figma will stay independent and hopefully there's going to be more companies like Patagonia Mm -hmm. and more B Corps. And let's end on a high note, right? Yeah. I think we can end on the high note that um, Patagonia has actually shown that they're um, even with having all the options in front of them, going the right path and nobody has shown uh something different yet um but so i actually assume that this is actually a very cool move and hopefully sets also an uh, example and i'm super curious about i mean just again putting this into perspective an ngo getting 100 million dollars per year to do something so 100 or 98 percent of a company's um, of a company's uh, profits is just huge and this doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the people who work in the company and also uh, the family who founded it don't earn money anymore right they're still on the payroll everybody still earns good money and has a good living and has more than enough right but uh, what we see here is that there is no system that um yeah, produces billionaires. But what it does is it takes the surplus of something, which is surplus with surplus uh, is uh, with what I mean with surplus is the money that is more than Profit. what a person needs for having a good life. Mm-hmm. And that goes into conserving our planet. And if this system actually works, then I think it can be a super um, good role model for many other companies because there are many companies who... Um, are owned by families and are not in 
um, traded on the stock market yet. So this is setting a huge example. If there are other like other um, other families, other company owners who see that this actually works, who see that they have already made enough money for their next generations to uh, function, um, so they can now use the rest of the money um, to do actually good. And I think this is an awesome system um, to to do so. And it's pioneer work. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think we need more stories like this. So hopefully next week we're going to have more emergency news that we can comment on. <laughs> more companies. We are copying Patagonia. Let's see. Hopefully. <laughs> but uh, that's all in this episode, right, Franz? Do yep. you have anything else? No. That's it. Looking forward to Then the next again... One. Sorry? Looking forward to the next one. Likewise. And while we're looking forward to the next one, you can sign up for the mini MBA. As I said before, it's a free email course where over seven days you get seven emails and you can learn a little bit about business, concepts relevant for designers. To do that, head over to d.mba slash mini minus MBA. Thanks, Franz. Thanks, everyone. And talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye.